It's a goddamn party tonight. Why, Carter, do you ask? Why? Because it's our 25th episode. It's been six months. Is this really our 25th episode? Yeah, man. And Jaken's fucking not here. Oh, that is right. Jaken is not here. You already have your trip. We'll figure out a trip. That's true. I do have my own trip. We're going to get into that. <laughs> we'll get into that next week, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome, everybody, to the 25th episode. We made it six months, baby. Yeah, holy um, shit. Honestly, I did not even realize it's been six months. Man, time flies. Truth. Mad truth on that. Pia's like, I'm about to get the fuck out of here. Um, no, we are joined tonight, and uh, I feel honored to be joined by you, oh, Miss Nick you. Mora. Thank you. That's so nice. TV host, blogger, uh, in, you know, social media personality uh, extraordinaire, and I actually am a huge official fan of Give Me Mora. That is so nice. Thank you. No, for real. Like the way. Okay, can we get right into it? Yeah, is let's get okay? right into it. I'm down. Okay, so. I love how you curate your content because to me, it's, you see a lot of bloggers, right? And it's just, to me, it's like IG models. I said to my friend the other day, IG models, they're all doing the same stuff. And then it becomes similar patterns, but you're sort of breaking the mold and figuring out a new fresh patina to put over what would normally be a day in the life of blog, but it's very entertaining and you feel connected to you immediately. Thank you. I really try to create content that allows the audience to connect to me because if you can't relate to me or you can't connect to me, then I'm not really doing my job. Right. So mm-hmm. I think the old form of bloggers where it's like all Instagram models, the thirst traps, I think that that yeah. I hate to say it, but I'm just going to call a spade a spade. There's a lot of thirst traps on Instagram. Oh, yeah. And I definitely. think that 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 kind of model is long gone. I think the new wave of influencers, the new wave of bloggers, I think we all are really trying to make a difference and provide some sort of education to you. Because if I'm not educating you, then why are you going to come to my feed? What are you going to get from me that you can't get anywhere else? Mm -hmm. It's a really good perspective to have, especially, you know, like you said, when things are oversaturated and whatnot. Um, You know, even, I even, like, not to be a hater, I hate The Bachelor, Oh my God, I love The Bachelor. Every Monday night at my house. I know you do. And it actually made me like, maybe I'll give this a second shot. It's great. We actually syndicated a Bachelor podcast on Give Me Mora and it's called 25 to Life. And it's by a friend of mine, Taylor, and her husband, Adam. They are based out of San Francisco and they were doing so well and they needed a home. So we gave them a home and it was, it's really awesome. They do it every season. It's a full blown recap. And I look oh, forward amazing. to it because sometimes I can't catch the full episode. Yeah. So I can just pop on their podcast, go through my right through my website. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Not only that, I mean, it's like a great play by play just for, yeah. you know, what, what, you, what Rose was given. <laughs> Before we dive into this, uh, just because, you know, our audiences don't really know what kind of content you're putting out there, you know, what is your demographic? What do you like to educate your audience on? Like, what is, you know, what grasped you into this platform, essentially? Right. So having a platform, I felt really responsible to kind of be a one-stop blog. I didn't want you to come just for outfits. I felt like everyone was coming up with their own outfits and becoming fashion bloggers. That wasn't really of interest to me. It was more interesting to me to see how you could get the outfit for less Mm -hmm. on like a real girl's budget. I wanted to be as relatable as possible because 
the internet was making me feel so bad about myself. Mm. And I was like, I don't want to go on people's blogs and feel like it's unattainable. I want to mm-hmm. feel like I'm talking to my big sister. So we created a one-stop blog, entertainment, lifestyle. It is focused towards millennials. So it really is a millennial blog. However, it's so weird. We've gotten a lot of Gen Z, which mm-hmm. I personally oh, really? think are the shit. Like I'm obsessed with them. I think that the Gen Z generation is so undertapped. And mm-hmm. I think that those are the people that are buying your things. Those are the people that are engaging with you. They grew up with technology. I saw the transition from, you know, having a phone, Nokia phone, where oh, you could God, just play yes. Snake, oh, you know? Oh, my God, mm-hmm. the brick phones. I remember the going to like phones? the mall and getting the templates to put over. I think I got like a little blue dragon over my Nokia. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I'm badass as shit. I would have been so jealous about of I'm like, oh, yeah. dude, I'm a chump. Exactly <laughs> that. And so- we saw the transition into technology. You know, we had to learn as we went. And these Gen Zers, I mean, they are just so tech savvy. They're my heroes. It's they're like so cool. They're, they're so, so trendy. They're ahead of the wave. And I'm so happy that a lot of them are following me because then I feel so cool and so trendy. So I'm <laughs> trying to really start to cater towards them and talk about what's going to happen as they get older go into college, graduate college, their quarter-life crises, how to have work-life balance. Mm-hmm. The more I reveal, which is really hard for me because I come from a Persian Jewish background, so mm-hmm. you're not really supposed to reveal. It's like kind of right. taboo. Mm-hmm. But the more that I share my story, the more people are responding. So quarter-life crisis, honestly, has been like the hot-button topic on Gimme Mora. I feel like the stories that need to be heard are the ones that are taboo. And you know, hearing individuals that are, are, you know, well, silence, unfortunately, because of their background. It's like, fuck that. You should have a platform or an environment where you could speak your mind. I, where did that go away? That's that's what freaks me out. Yeah. I mean, I completely understand it, but at the same time, it's coming from a therapist perspective. It just bums me the fuck out. Well, and, yeah. it, ma- and it makes it, it makes uh, it's comforting to your audience because then it's like, oh, I can relate to this person. Mm-hmm. Like, I. Like you said, it, you know, it's like you got sick of everything on IG. Like that's so, somewhat of mm-hmm. a sickness now of people oh, becoming 100%. depressed from seeing what's in the moment unattainable or whatever. It's a I get depressed. I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> how did this girl have such a nice body? And then you yeah. go to an influencer event and you're like, she doesn't have a nice body. It's just Facetune. Oh my God. <laughs> oh no, everyone looks like Kylie Jenner in real life. This is really sad. It's, oh man, like I saw... So, I so wish that some of these people would like, okay, you just woke up, timer starts, within two minutes you have to take a selfie and post it. And then we'll see what's what's real and... Mm-hmm. I mean, I think people are doing those selfie challenges now. I think yeah. that this is a new wave of reality. People are doing the Instagram versus reality and that's becoming mm-hmm. relatable. And I mean, Ellen DeGeneres just came out with a stand-up called Relatable. And as yeah. a TV host, the word relatable... I mean, I have a love-hate relationship with it because they tell us that we have to be so relatable all the time. So having that drilled into your head to be relatable forces you to just be you. Mm. And it's crazy because before when you would turn on your TVs, you had like a polished hosty host. You didn't know anything about them. Mm. You didn't connect to them. And now the audiences want more from you. Mm. You need to be seen, read, heard, you know, it's across all platforms. People have to feel like they know you to be able to tune in time after time. It's kind of like letting go of the media training wall a little bit, letting your guard down. Yeah. And now you get media trained in a different way. Yeah. 
you're getting constantly broken down and it's like, it's hard because, you know, there's a point of, you know, using your platform to express yourself, but there's also a point of privacy. You know, I feel like there's definitely a barrier when it comes to trying to talk with your audience and connect, but also having that moment just to be yourself, being an individual. And I don't know how to, the best way to put it is like, where's the line? Where's too much? I think everyone's line is really different, to be honest. For me, having the line between personal and professional, there is a huge fat line. Mm -hmm. I, I know when to cross it and I know when to open it up. I think my personal life has become even more personal, the more public I've become Mm -hmm. because when I'm doing a TV show or when I'm blogging, my life is already out there for you. I don't need to Insta story my entire day. Quite frankly, I don't think anyone gives a fuck. (laughs) Yes, I agree. (laughs) I I think it's weird when bloggers have those like tiny little dots on their IG stories and no Mm -hmm. one cares. I swipe right through. Mm -hmm. So not to mention YouTuber hives creep me the fuck out. Like, oh, the fact God. that somebody couldn't is a YouTuber's making millions of dollars by like literally doing that and people follow their lives religiously all the while like not living their own lives. Mm-hmm. You're not present. And I think when you yeah. aren't present, you're really missing out. Like your whole life passes you by. So I make an effort when I go on vacation to disconnect. I make an effort at nights if I'm with my friends to disconnect. If I'm not working, I'm not working. You're not going to see what I'm doing. I might post like a happy hour or like that I'm at a wedding because I'm a professional wedding guest. And I'll give you that small glimpse into my life, but everything else is on my blog. Just go to gimmemore.com. You don't need to know what I'm having for lunch. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what I think is great too, you're also, you're offering a diverse platform for, you know, there's something for everybody there, you know, as I was saying before, and, you know, you're transparent in a very realistic way where it's like, this is my favorite show, but here's, let me give you this and it's makeup tips for vintage Hollywood and it'll help you out. Like, you know, if this is what you're going for. I'm all sorts of crazy. No, that's, that's awesome though. Cause it's, it's not, it's not, um, you know, uh, it's authentic. It's not, and it's not binary. I appreciate that. There's something, there's gray area everywhere, which gives you a human aspect where so much of this online or influencers and whatnot, it's, it is binary. They're sticking yeah. to one formula and you can tell it's like readily visible every time I come across like somebody's profile or website or, you know, buy my course, training course. I won't tell you all the info, mm. buy my course. Oh my God, everyone's selling a course. Did you just hear about that influencer who like sold all these courses and made hundreds of thousands of dollars and then didn't deliver? Oh my God. She had like a webinar that you would have to check in and it was crazy. She made so much money and then she just went MIA. Thank God for a government uh, shutdown. Like, Maybe she'll I think get lost she made $250,000 from selling her courses and everyone was like, Oh my God, they were in, as my mom would say, cahoots. Like, (laughs) legit. Like, they were just like an uproar. Like, people were writing articles, people were going crazy. And this bitch literally took $250,000 and peaced the fuck out. out. That's. That's so unfortunate. She's in Costa Rica living her best life. She's probably like got an island or something, small <laughs> island off the coast of somewhere for 200K. I mean, I don't doubt it. I mean, there's people also like professors that have, you know, like new professors that I put out a textbook and it would be 
not completely false information, but there would be a lot of white lies in there being like, uh, how much truth is there? Right. And then they would sell it to the universities and they make like a million, two million dollars off just those textbooks because it becomes state regulation to use it. And then they piece. So it's like yeah. licensing for them? Pretty much. Of. It's like, for me, I would, I would consider it like a get out of jail free card for working. That's you know, wild. It's just like, fuck it. You know, I'm going to write this textbook because I have a prestigious background and I'm going to take advantage of it, yeah. sell it out. 80 bucks. People at UIC did that all the time. I went to UIC and my professors made me read their own books. I was like, you've got to fucking be kidding me with mm. this. And how egotistical can you get? Where it's like, you're read not- Read my book because I'm the best. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's factual research that should be a peer-to-peer info share. Like, Absolutely. Not like all mine. I made this up. I theorized this. And not only that, I'm going to test you on it. And if you don't, then you don't deserve the grade. It's, it's, it's fucking bonkers in my mind. It makes no sense to me. I just like, I feel like whenever it comes to education, whatever you're teaching, you're always referencing previous researchers and studies, right? Yeah. But it's also looking at the whole of everything, not just like, oh, this is me. This is my research is best. It's like, what the fuck, dude? Like, Wisdom is free, and that's for everyone, regardless of wow. That's like shit. really profound. Yeah, people lose sight. I took of a it. lot of philosophy. <laughs> I definitely <laughs> failed all my philosophy classes. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I literally, I actually with Sally took a philosophy class, I believe, and I think I might have failed it. <laughs> like, not actually failed it, but I was struggling. Well, in, in school, what was your major? My major was communications, and my mm. minor was cinema with an emphasis in TV. Hell yeah. Okay. So you're already inclined on this sort of figuring out your journey to where you are now. Mm -hmm. Do you think that like, because for us, at least myself being in music, I know that growing up in LA like shaped my proclivities to follow like into the entertainment, into the entertainment sphere. Um, Did, do you feel like that sort of, um, you know, just by surrounding like influenced you to, you know, take this path? I don't think it caused me to take this path because as much as I grew up in LA, I still grew up in a Persian Jewish home. So Mm. me wanting to be in entertainment. Yeah, exactly. Like me wanting to be in entertainment was not going to be a thing. Right. You know, Mm. everyone thought it was a phase and then I was 10 and it still wasn't, it was still a phase. And then I was 15 and oh, okay, she's going to do theater. (laughs) It's still a phase. And then it was 18. you've had a passion for entertainment since you were 10 years old. Oh, I wanted to be an actress since I could talk. I think I wanted to be a storyteller. I didn't realize at the time I was like, Oh, I'm going to be an actress, you know, whatever. Um, but I wanted to tell stories for as long as I could talk. I wrote plays when I was a kid. Um, that's incredible. Yeah. I was a really highly emotional, overdramatic, psychotic kid, (laughs) like grew up way too early because I was feeling way too much at a very, very young age. And when you grow up in the theater, no one treats you like a kid. They treat you like an adult. Mm -hmm. So you do scrub the toilets, you clean the theater, and you have these very intense conversations with older people. Mm -hmm. And so you feel like I skipped maybe like five years, six years of like my development. I went from like 11 to 17, no joke. I was like a very, I grew up. Talk about getting innocence revoked yeah. from you. You know, you know yeah. what's funny about that is it kind of, it kind of sounds like what I would imagine like a child star goes through. Except like, I definitely was not a child star and I'm so happy I was not because right. I look back on it now and I'm like, thank God I never made it until, you know, I'm not, I'm not even make it now, but I'm saying thank it. God I haven't had any type of 
success or income until recently because now I really know who I am. Mm -hmm. And so growing up in LA, to go back to your question, I didn't really think like being in entertainment was the norm, you know? You just, I was like, oh, well, my family doesn't like it and I don't, I'm gonna rebel. And I was just kind of finding my purpose in myself and having an LA background. I think when you're LA born and bred, what's up? (laughs) All my LA- Apparently it's a rarity now. It's a rarity Mm. now. So. I mean, I already knew the city and Mm -hmm. I knew how to navigate it. And it was easier for me to find certain jobs or to to know what the Hollywood game was before it was a thing. Mm -hmm. And before people had to grow up and learn. I knew what shady auditions looked like because I ended up in a hotel room when I was 16 years old and ran the fuck out. Mm -hmm. You know, so if I didn't have those experiences with my parents and being under 18, yeah, I would have been screwed. Yeah. I'm not even gonna front. I yeah. would have been screwed. There's a lot of shady people out here. True a lot of people that. trying to take you to dinner and fuck you and give you promise you a job. It's just not gonna work out like that. So, so crazy. Mm-hmm. Fuck R. Kelly. Oh uh, my gosh. Yeah. That documentary was Yo, the most fascinating thing I've ever that, seen that in my entire savage. life. Okay, I have yet to speak on a woman's perspective. I don't know if you were R. Kelly fan prior to knowing all of that or not, but we did a whole episode last week just shitting on R. Kelly on per- like because it's foul and he's nasty. Well, yeah, because facts. He's foul and disgusting and atrocious <laughs> motherfucker. Oh, my God. The, the bullets. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no. So like what was your perspective watching it? Because I was tearing up by the second episode. So, OK, I I hate to say this because I'm such a bad TV watcher in the sense of like, you know, when you should have Netflix shows for while you're texting. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's me. I watch TV and I multitask. That's just kind of how I've always been. And I still grasp everything that's going on. Um, and I think it allowed me to emotionally disconnect for a little bit while I was watching it because it was fucking heavy, man. Mm-hmm. That yeah. was insane. And I think that that was storytelling at its finest for a lifetime to have gotten the rights. It didn't I mean, even feel like a lifetime series. And I think it's going to be a huge game changer for the content that now goes to Lifetime. And I'm so happy because I've always, I grew up on Lifetime with my mom. Like we literally would watch it every night together. (laughs) So to see that on Lifetime was really cool. But these girls' stories were insane. I mean, as a woman to know that that could have happened to me if I wanted to be a singer and lived there. And the fact that everybody knew in his camp, what was going on and, and didn't, didn't say anything. Shit. Like this security guard and his assistant or whatever that guy was. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he was like he's out of here. crying and making himself look like, oh, I know what I did, what I did was wrong. Like, fuck the fuck off. You yeah. forged Aaliyah's documents so that he could marry Aaliyah at 15. Like, what kind mm. of sick fuck are you? Yeah, and there's an element. He's just as guilty as R. Kelly. And oh, it's, this yeah. whole thing was so hard for me. And I and I understood what was going on online because as an R. Kelly fan, I mean, step in the name of yeah. love. Oh, yeah. You know, like all of that. Jams. Those were all jams. And as an R. Kelly Space fan, jam. you don't want to believe. Yeah. yeah. You don't want to believe that this guy who makes the songs that you love and that are like really memorable in the times of your life growing up, that he could do this. And I think that's the disconnect that people are having is that they don't want to believe that this superstar is doing these awful, awful, awful things. things. And it's yeah. really hard to say like, okay, well, fuck you, but I'm still going to listen to your music. No one How, wants to where do you their, draw like, the line? Fall from grace. No one that's, wants to. They, well, they just will ignore it. There's also that expression, we build entertainers up 
to watch them destroy themselves. Because mm-hmm. you can think of so many people time and time again. Justin Bieber went through it, you know, mm-hmm. pissing in a mop bucket, all of that stuff, where you build them so high and there's so much pressure on them that anybody mm-hmm. would kind of break and go a little crazy. But, but I don't think that, 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 I don't, yeah, I don't think this is a Justin Bieber situation. That, that, no, 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 that no. sense with R. Kelly. There's definitely some deep-rooted shit. Yeah, he was abused as a kid and, you for know. Sure. I mean, it's just... I found a huge conflict within myself as a woman to watch this, see what he did, and then be like, oh, fuck, I still like his music. Like, what do I do? And so that was when I opened up my eyes and saw what people were doing on Twitter and what people were doing on Instagram. And I was like, whoa, I get it. You know, Mm -hmm. I understand why people want to still stream his music. I understand why people still want to support his music. But on the other side of that, if you support his music, you're supporting a freaking rapist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, so, the, and there's so many. There are so many women that I saw in tweets from women being like, "I let him kidnap me," and I'm like, "Yo, don't stop playing!" Like, because he, he went to a club in Chicago like a week after. Yeah, that he aired, didn't give a fuck. And it was eighty percent women over capacity in there cheering for him. Like it was. It's the weirdest. He's Charles Manson. People have He's daddy got a God issues. Complex. No, but people have daddy issues. Like people think that this is like. They are over-glamorizing who he is, and they themselves have problems. So they see this guy who's living this great lifestyle, and he, look, he's a charming guy. Did you see that interview that surfaced with him on HuffPost Live? Oh, yeah, where he walked out? Where he was like, I'm walking out. Like, And he was just, oh, my God, that interviewer, I could, I'm going to say this on air, I could never handle that interview the way that this woman did. Yeah, she She was that. incredible. And he was an asshole. And no one thought to say like, oh my God, maybe that these allegations really are true like five years ago. No one ever thought that this guy's calling himself the Pied Piper. Like, mm, that's so why didn't anyone wake the fuck up? And some of these parents. There was so much compli- yeah. There was so much complicity. And that's the one thing I don't hear from the reaction to this documentary. Everybody's focused on R- Robert Kelly as the main offender, but everybody's sort of, that's everybody not, plays a card. Well, there. what I was saying, what I was going to say is you're, you're right. But what people are, are sort of what's not sinking in is that people aren't acknowledging that this has been in an unfortunate circumstance, the culture of the entertainment industry and music industry culture mm-hmm. since it's, Inception. Oh, this, or, yeah. This is this isn't old news. You know this this is this kind of stuff has been happening for a very very long time. And people aren't talking about that. It's happening no. with the Me Too movement, which is beautiful and that's great. And I hope that it's not just a speed bump and then it sort of resets. Because I feel like, I don't think that it's a speed bump, and I don't think it's going to reset. To I be honest, not. I think, and I might get a lot of heat for this. I think our culture as a whole has become really highly sensitive. Mm-hmm. And I think it's only going to continue to get even more sensitive. And I think, yes, the Me Too movement was amazing. And I support every woman that will ever speak up ever. Mm-hmm. But now when comedians are making jokes, if they make the wrong joke, they're out. Your whole, like, I think there needs to be a fine line between the Me Too movement and mm-hmm. between being able to take things maybe not so seriously. I think mm-hmm. when you have the Me Too movement, who, which is so serious and so powerful, and then Kevin Hart makes a joke 10 years ago yeah. and mm. is apologizes for it and is like, look, people do stupid shit. Like, have, mm. did you not do stupid shit when you were 10 years old? Like 10 years ago? And he's right. Well, and, and aside from that, ago. <laughs> well, no, but he's right. And that joke too, that he told like, stop, that's gay. Mm. 
I'm guilty for laughing at that because I'm watching a stand-up comedian. It's like what Joe Rogan said on stage mm-hmm. once. He's like, apparently I have to apologize now for every joke I tell. But mm-hmm. if you really think about it, if I was doing the stuff I kid about on stage, I'd be the worst human being ever. Like, this is just mm-hmm. what comedians do. Yeah. They push. You're in that forum to laugh at stuff you know shouldn't be reality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kevin Hart spoke about it on The Breakfast Club last week, and it was... It was a great interview. He was he was like, look, like, what? I'm supposed to apologize for everything I do? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. okay, it was 10 years ago. Didn't you do stupid things 10 years ago? And Chappelle said the same thing about the transgender joke he did. And it was like, and I respect that, you know, and I'll catch heat for that. But it's like, I put comedians in the realm of unabashedly, like, the bravery of not holding anything sacred and just letting loose is kind of cathartic mm-hmm. when you're like letting the darkest stuff exit out of you and you get that out on stage in a in a place where you don't mean it literally. What's crazy is the fact that, you know, these people that are in the spotlight are the ones getting criticized, but the ones that are doing the criticizing have probably done the same bloody shit, but, you know, they're not in the limelight. The internet's so- a scary-ass place, I will tell you that much. It wasn't until I started hosting for a YouTube channel that had a lot of subscribers that I saw how mean people were. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my God, people are so awful. Like, yeah. you, everyone's just bashing each other. So you're bashing this guy who was bashing this, who was bashing, it just becomes a never ending cycle and there's no solution for it. And I feel like people are bashing R. Kelly, but then, then people are bashing the survivors of R. Kelly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's wild. And what these women did and what these people came on record to say was so powerful and so meaningful they literally shared their deepest, darkest parts of their lives with us. And to Mm -hmm. sit there and to degrade that is disgusting by all means. And the sad thing is I I was seeing comments with that where they were like, man, she skirted around all the details and blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, those details, they need to have something that they keep personal. They're brave enough for coming on this platform. And it's like, even and those are the people where it's like even if they heard those details, I'm not so sure they'd be forgiving our Ke- or like they'd still be forgiving our yeah. Kelly at this point. Well, it's just point, like which divulging that kind of personal information. You're pretty much eviscerating yourself to the public. Yeah, you know, and you're like putting yourself up for that kind of criticism. I think it's nuts. And I, what bothered me was that nobody was acknowledging how many parents were at fault for this. Mm-hmm. Oh, there, it's crazy. You saw in the documentary at the end the some of the parents were very proactive and like went and got their girl, but there were so many people that were fame hungry, money hungry, you name it, just to be in the presence of R. Kelly, have you're gonna sacrifice your fucking kid? Yeah. That's your kid. What the fuck? Yeah. yeah. Are you kidding me? I was so angry to think that some parents, like why do you have kids? That's why what, did you bring said, kids? Yeah. That's why I said you world. and Jacob were trash when you were like, I would have taken the settlement if it changed my life. I was like, no, dude. Like if You would have taken a settlement? I didn't say I would take the settlement. Oh, oh Jake and did. Jake and did. Oh, Don't Jake throw me in the damn boat. I was about to go, <laughs> I was about to go up. I thought, our, what the fuck is your our problem? Our other co-host was like, dude, think about it. If you're down on your luck. And I was like, dude, no. Like, not at this point. Not- Integrity is the only real thing I got left, I feel like, yeah. sometimes. It's like, if I You're worried about a settlement, through- you can write a book yeah. and, and make that settlement and at least be a published author, you know? If currency drives my life, my purpose doesn't mean shit. Well, yeah, yeah I agree with that to some extent. Yeah. I think that people don't take financial... Um, what's the word? Let me rephrase it. <laughs> I... 
I'm not going to go out of my way to destroy my own well-being just to gain more money. Yeah. But I am going to do what I'm passionate about. And yeah. obviously, I want to make sure I can make a living. Yeah. But I'm not going to throw all that away just to get a bigger paycheck than the last one. Okay, that's well better said. Yeah, I was, I, was like, like, uh, I was like, let me rephrase like, this. You need to be able to pay your bills, boo. <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> Passion don't always pay the bills, okay? That's true. That yeah, is very exactly. true. That's, <laughs> that's my biggest fear as a musician of like, because you, as a musician or, you know, in a, uh, any artist, any artist or, you know, definitely, you know, creative, creative, yeah, you yeah, know, creative anybody that's creatively platform. inclined, like moving forward, you're going to look real whack if you're 35 and you're like, well, I'm passionate, like in a relationship, like, no, Can't babe, I'm passionate. On taxes. I'm really <laughs> passionate. <laughs> yeah, it's like. Well, I mean, look, I'm in my 20s and I've been saying a lot lately, like, yo, I'm going to be 30 in like two years and yeah. I don't know, like, I can't fuck around. Like, I'm not going to be 30 and broke as creative. Like, that's not sexy. Like, no one's going to want that. What if a 35-year-old man came up to me and was like, well, I'm like working on it. No, like, yeah. I can't be personally too creative like in a relationship because my job and business is so unstable, like real mm. talk, that a nice businessman sounds really, really chill. <laughs> but like both of us trying to follow our passions and then suddenly make it really gives me severe anxiety. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you're right. Uh, 35 being passionate, it's not going to get my motors running. No, exactly. Like, and I, I feel you on wanting to date somebody quote unquote normal. Yeah. Like, and because it, it lends perspective to, okay, they may not understand fully what I do, but they understand how I'm working and see the benefits it reaps for our relationship and what it allows. But also I've found on the other side, it's almost like the, the uh, sugar coating on top. If you are dating another creative, because it's like, okay, well they do understand. And, but it, I agree. It doesn't, they conflict after a while. I've dated both. Yeah. Um, I briefly dated a creative for like five seconds and it was really nice because he understood me in a way that, a lot of the other people in my life didn't get, but it just, there's too much creative energy. There's too many egos at play. There's too much, you know, am I going to make it? There's like, sometimes you feel like you're kind of battling with your own partner. Yeah. So I'm not trying to outshine my partner. Like I love Jay-Z and Beyonce and I hope we all find our Jay-Z and Beyonce or A-Rod and (laughs) J-Lo. But I do think that, it's kind of nice to have that sense of normalcy to be with someone who has a normal job, like goes to work, travels for work, has a paycheck every two weeks. Like that yeah. sounds so nice. Oh my God. Do, yeah. do you think like uh, two creatives that may work in the same entertainment industry are more likely to have difficulties with the relationship rather than just one partner being in the entertainment industry and then one just normal job look i think they both have their own issues i think Mm -hmm. if you are a creative dating another creative it could be battle of the egos Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know what if one makes it and the other doesn't especially especially like if i if i date a tv host that's just or another blogger um and he's more successful than me or i thought i was in a better place than him Mm -hmm. you know i would literally it would it would bother me. And it's not like, oh, you're so competitive. It's just human nature. You want to be the best at what you do. And you see your partner all of a sudden thriving. And you're like, then you feel like shit. Yeah. It's like when I see, I'm so happy for all of my friends who are successful, but 
it would be a lot harder for me if that person was living under the same roof as me. And then on the opposing side, being a creative and dating someone quote normal, that person's not always going to understand your industry. They can, you Mm -hmm. know, if they see it and they know the ins and outs of it, yeah, they really do come to understand it and learn it, but they'll never know what you've been through. And so that's the, they might understand it. They might like get it. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying, but they don't know what it's like to hustle in this town where sometimes it takes you 10 to 12 years to be an overnight success. Mm -hmm. It's fucking hard. Well, it's like, you know, playing Russian roulette, you know, it's sometimes going to take a ton of time and you get that one shot where it's like, yes, you know, I could do this. And another it's, that shot is could be the end. And yeah. it's, it's such a bummer because, you know, the creative platform in itself is something that's so essential to just the human condition. Cause you know, having that creative outlet, not a lot of people don't get that. Yeah. And but people some people don't need a creative outlet. Yes. And some that's the don't. that's Absolutely. the joy of it. Like people like to do math. I would die. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I need the creative outlet. If I'm not creative in some capacity, I'm going to go nuts. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go bonkers. And I'm, you're not going to want to fucking date me. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing. I'm so glad that this came up because I just figured out a really cool correlation between like what you're doing, like actually doing, not just pursuing, is that I read an article on Business Insider a while ago. And it, I, I was curious. I was doing some Googling. I was like, what is really the role of a CEO? And I'm thinking mm-hmm. of a business, like a corporation or something that's more people would consider sterile okay. um, as opposed to a creative where everything is new and exciting and they're creating content at a rapid pace. Everything and, has to be fireworks, fireworks. And things, <laughs> yeah, you're, cha- you're changing the furniture in that living room every week, right? Mm. Where it's like a corporation stays pretty consistent and it's gradual consistency. And, and so what, a, and what Business Insider said is the typical day of a CEO is maintaining relationships. And that's the most important piece. Mm. I feel like most creatives haven't, the surface level creative who's very passionate still Mm -hmm. isn't hustling, right? They're not thinking of themselves as a brand yet. And I I realized in that moment, reading that article, I was like, wow. So like successful creatives and CEOs have so much in common because they're solely responsible for the success of the entity that they built and are responsible for. Mm -hmm. As for anyone in any other profession. I love that. You know what I mean? I love that. I think it's And true. I see that with what you're doing now. Like Thank you. when That's I so looked nice. at everything. No, seriously. You're so full of compliments. Can I put you in my pocket? Well, like and can you on- just come everywhere with me? Well, no, and to be honest, because when I trust Pia's word wholeheartedly, I wish she wasn't in the other room so she could hear me give her a compliment. Um, <laughs> but uh, when Pia suggested like you should have Nick on, like she'll slay, and I was like, okay, let me check her out. Like, you know, let me check out her content. Like, let's see what's going on. Cause you know, there's, we've had so, how many people have we had? Like, dude, let me get on the podcast. Like I'm creating this. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because it's like, everyone wants their 15 minutes of fame. I hear with my blog all the time. Oh, can you profile me? I was like, bitch, if you even looked at my blog, you would see that we have not done a profile in like two years. (laughs) That's a lot of work. It is. Are you going to pay me for the profile? Like this is a sponsored post. It's, It's completely bonkers. I just like, I, I don't know. Have you have you ever had to kind of deal with that capacity like when you were first starting your platform and things were starting to build up? Do you feel like you had a lot of people coming to you being like, "Hey, I want to like, you know, be involved. Can I do something?" Can I be honest? There were a lot of it. haters in the building. Like What? So many haters in the building. And I became a blogger kind of late to the game. 
I, I'm five years in now. We just mm-hmm. celebrated our more anniversary in November, at the end of November. Thank you. Thank you. And it's really primarily due to people like Pia and Sally who have supported me and helped me. And when I was like not creative enough to figure out what the fuck I'm doing, <laughs> they've always had my back. So especially for those two, I'm super, super thankful and super grateful. And they've been amazing friends and business partners, you can say, and I'm, I owe a lot of my success to them, but in the beginning, man, people were ruthless. (laughs) They were rough. They were like, oh, you think you're a blogger. You think you're famous. You, you know, people would read my stuff because I would see the numbers and I would track the numbers, Mm -hmm. but everyone pretended like it wasn't happening. And it was really interesting to see like who was writing me and who was supporting me and who was talking shit behind my back that I later found out about. And oh, I, that'll will itself out. The they're, shade. They're wills probably just out. pissed off about their own lives. So the uh, only way to deal with that is to lash out. Hurt on others. people hurt people. And I had to learn that. I really, really came to terms with that this year. And that's okay. You know, you have just have to send people like that love. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until I want to say year three that we started getting people were a little bit more vocal about their you know, support for Give Me Mora and for what we represent. I did a lot of controversial blog posts in year three. Okay. Mm. So either people loved it and they were like, fuck yeah, you're amazing. Oh my God, you're the voice of our community. Or they were like, you shouldn't say that because like no one's going to want to marry you. And I was And was your thought when creating that, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but it was your thought at the time when you were doing that, you're like, you know what? Let me speak my fucking mind real quick and just like throw it on there. I was really nervous to, I wrote a piece called my community told me not to have an opinion and it was about how my community told me not to have an opinion as a woman. So I made a career on it. Yeah. Fuck that. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, Persian Jewish girls, you're not supposed to have an opinion. You're not really supposed to be an independent woman. You're supposed to get married. And looking back on it now, the article did come off a little angry um, but you have every it, right to be angry about that. I know, but I think now that I'm a little bit older and not so reactive, emotionally reactive, and I'm a little bit more emotionally mature, I would have handled that a little bit differently the way that I wrote it. Even though it was a great piece, it was super controversial. It made my blog go haywire. My numbers were through the roof. Mm. A lot of people were talking about it. There was a huge fight on my Facebook feed about it. I got hate mail for the first time about it. Wow. And... I was like, you know what? This is what it's about because I just wrote something that's super controversial, but it was my truth and I was really nervous about it. And it affected people in a good or a bad way. It took me six months to actually post that post. I thought about it. I mulled over it. I went to New York in June. I talked about it with a friend of mine. It's extremely personal. It was a very personal piece. It's going to be really tough, but at the end of the day, you did it. A lot of people can't say they did that, that they spoke their truth to the public. Yo, that is the scariest thing I think I had ever, one of the scariest things I had ever done. And now I'm a lot more vulnerable and I'm okay with it Mm -hmm. because I don't really give a fuck. I think once I stopped giving a fuck, that's when my business did better. And isn't there a whole huge weight off your shoulders once you let go of that aspect of your ego where you're like, all right, oh, this is a giant exhale. Let me not like hold so much of myself back that I feel welled up inside you know, I was literally trained to care about what people think and to think mm. about my image and it was to like think about with the culture you yeah, grew up in. You always, what are other people going to think? Yeah. And it was like, why? Okay. And then 
you know, you really do think about that and every move I was making, everything I was saying, I was thinking before I was speaking and I was media training and my coach, Marky Costello at the time was like, no filter, brain to mouth, that's it. Whatever is you're thinking, I need to hear it. Yeah. And it was so hard. It took me two years to learn how to be unfiltered, mm-hmm. even though I'm a very blunt, honest person. But as soon as it came to the camera turning on or my blog, I would filter and it wasn't working. So year three, we busted those walls down. I revealed my weight. I revealed my dress size. I talked about the community. I talked about quarter life crises and I really went balls to the wall. Year three was life changing, honestly. That's, Hell yeah. That's huge. And you're not, you know, because, and you can definitely see sometimes when entertainers and, you know, other uh, others are doing it like shock jockish, like they're doing it to get a rise out of people, which unfortunately is a bit of the culture today on social mm-hmm. media. There's a lot of, like what 6ix9ine was doing. Like, mm-hmm. dude, you're just, you're doing stuff because it was, it's very smart, but it's manipulative in the wrong way. Unfortunately, that's how Kanye has become too. I'm oh, sure. 100%. It's been going on for a minute. You know, my opinion. Whereas, bef- not- whereas before and the way you're doing it, it was the honest people you really respected because it's their whole, it's their entire, the entirety of their personality is laid out for you like a deck of cards. And you're like, okay, I can picture this person being exactly the same when I meet them and the energy is the same in front of the camera and mm-hmm. off off set, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, and that's important. What's hard is, you know, when people struggle with that inner turmoil, it's hard to like bury the past. But how are you supposed to bury the past unless you're not willing to pick up the shovel? And it's like, you gotta, you know, it's hard to say. That's a great, that's a really great analogy. Wow. I actually wrote that recently for yep. a paper. Wow. Yo. You should uh, <laughs> copyright that, trademark that, something that was a great analogy. <laughs> Two-part neon sign coming your way, <laughs> But yeah, no, it's, you know, it's, it's so hard to reveal yourself, like your true nature, because, you know, we are conditioned, whether it be your background of, you know, the religious upbringing you're in, the community, or even just even the school environments too. They're like, you can't act like this because that's not appropriate. It'll be suppressive. And it's just like, yo, uh, why not? And they're like, well, you just can't do that. Yeah. Well, okay, let's be a little bit real here. There are behaviors that are not appropriate to oh, be yes, acting. Yes, of course. <laughs> like, you can just go around and throw your balls Ball, out yeah. like it's appropriate. Like but you can't like, do that. Our, like, our Kelly. Yeah, you yes. can't be like, like, you know what I mean? There's appropriate behavior and then there's like a line. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, we are able to now see who is doing things for shock factors. I think it's very obvious. Kanye, while I think he's a musical genius, mm-hmm. he gets on Twitter because he knows we're going to fucking talk about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When I report at a entertainment news station, the second something Kanye does, it's I have to report on it. Mm-hmm. So it, I wouldn't be doing my job if I'm not. It's mm-hmm. part of the news. So he knows people like me are going to have to comment on it. Mm-hmm. So, but also his audience knows that too. Can I and ask I think you something about that. about that? Sure. As a media personality, why hasn't the media, I get that he's a moneymaker for all media because it'll ultimately draw attention to their platform, whatever they have to say about something salacious that he said. But mm. why haven't we canceled Kanye at this point? I don't want to cancel Kanye West. What's wrong with you? Yeah, I'm, no, he knows. I personally am not a big fan of he, Kanye. He knows I was the biggest diehard fan of his for years, stood up to him and for him in a lot of conversations. Mm-hmm. It's just now he only it, goes to bat for things that his audience can sympathize with when he has something to sell or put out. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, he hasn't put anything out recently. Well, it's close. If it's not, you know, shoes or whatever. Or whatever or, weird, bizarre thing he would say. I don't out look to, the to Kanye West for his clothing options. Let's right. just be very real here. That's like the stuff that freaking um, American Apparel was selling 15 years ago. So I'm not really trying to go and buy Yeezy, like yeah. season, whatever, Mm-mm. because it's just his stuff's not cute. And I don't need see-through like short biker shorts that I could get from Ross for five ninety nine. You know, mm. his music though, he's a genius. Completely. And so I will go to bat for him for yeah. that. And I think that as an artist, he's amazing. not going to be canceled. I don't want to cancel Kanye West. Quite frankly, I love him. I love Kim. I love yeah. their kids. I love that they talk about having a surrogate. And I just, I love Kanye. I just, <laughs> I just worry when it becomes so much less about the music. And what his audience is there for. And now they're sort of going to him like white rednecks were going to Tommy Lauren. It's mm. kind of like they're listening to him for waiting for some salacious shit that they but can But that's defend. where media is now. That is where we are now. Mm. I'm sorry. Yeah. When Oprah says something, I'm listening. Oh, no, yeah. And I, I don't hate on that that aspect at all. I think, though, that you have a social responsibility the bigger your platform gets. And this is my own opinion. You just mm. have a bigger responsibility. The bigger what you your put pl- out there is a big impact. You know, when you have that, you know, huge, you know, right. audience. And that's what scares me. And but it's the power of his opinion. and But I feel like constant uh, thought out of your ma- or, you know, words having an impact Music, like music as a platform or comedy or things like that, that'll affect people in an emotional way, good or bad, mm. but it makes them think on themselves rather than agreeing with a personality of something that can be, I feel like, toxic at times. That That mm. is literally shaping cultures, you know, pitting them against each other for personal mm. gain or things yeah. like that. And music... I'm all for the weekend what he was when he used to sing about cheating on his girlfriend and <laughs> remember you know, that I'm just I'm just saying like on his first album yeah. you know the I best album back, you yeah, mean House of Balloons yeah House of much. Balloons yeah I left my girl back home uh, she don't love me no more and she'll never fucking know that these fucking eyes that I'm staring at like yep. so that affects wow, you right because that's it, a mood and it either <laughs> makes you think on past mistakes it makes you want to call your ex girlfriend. Even if you didn't do anything, <laughs> I'm just saying. Hey, girl, what are you doing tonight? I'm, I'm sorry, I cheated again. <laughs> no, but what I'm saying is, but then there's a definite difference to me between that and then general speech, which is what Twitter is. It's it's like Alex Jones got canceled for him. Well, fuck him first off. But what I'm saying is, it's the same. I make the same correlation. You have words are different than your art. Oh, 100. percent But I don't agree. I think your art comes from your words. And I, so I don't agree with that. I think as a creative myself and, and to mm-hmm. know different types of artists, it's not enough for you just to be a musician anymore. And unfortunately this oh, is the state not. of the culture. Mm-hmm. So that's why when you, when you say this, it's like, okay, but we need more from Kanye West. So we, I want to know his political views. I want to know what he thinks right. because I'm more curious as to who Kanye West is now outside of being a musician. So yeah, I think that whether or not we agree with what Kanye West is saying or what anyone is saying, they have a right to put their opinion out there, what good, bad, ugly, hateful, this, that. You need to know who it is 
that you are following and who you are supporting. Mm-hmm. And I'd rather him be authentically Kanye yeah. than not be authentically Kanye. I Absolutely. love that he's on his Twitter ranting and raving. Whatever he supports MAGA, he does that. People people support Trump and don't tell other people that they support Trump. So I'd rather know who's supporting Trump than like him be like, oh yeah, I'm a liberal and go and vote for Trump in, right. when you know everyone else's right. eyes are closed and they can't see. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I like that you can kind of, um, you get what you see. And I and yeah. I respect that. Whether we agree with what he says is a whole completely different conversation. But I think it's not enough anymore to just have your music and then you have an impact with whatever you say and that's the way that you choose to do it. And he has a right to do that. I feel you. I guess, I guess where my whole sort of, it used to be, wow, I want to meet him. Yeah. I'm not so sure I feel that way anymore, but mm-hmm. I still want the create creativity from him. Which well, that's why they tell you don't know your heroes, don't meet your heroes because yeah. of exactly what you're saying. Right. But if he said what you liked and right. what you supported, you would stand for him a lot more than you did before. Oh, of course. So, but I, I guess because I guess with Kanye, nobody expected the switch. It was a very polarizing switch. It was a, it was a huge one. I, he also had a lot of trauma happen in the, the past. The devil works you know. hard, but Chris Jenner works harder, oh guys. <laughs> God, that's what, that's what I'm saying. Like. I, I'm all for the shits. I'm just saying, like, something happened. You know, it, it, obviously he was already a superstar, and he's he's dealt with a lot of trauma in his life. And I felt like a lot of that's really catching up. And just the way he's even act, I'm I'm speaking on like a clinical view. Obviously, I'm not trying to say or make any judgments because you know I don't want anything to become a skew. But I just feel like he actually he needs help. And I think something happened where something just cracked because when you when your private life is gone, like completely gone, the stardom that him, the whole Kardashian family has, yeah. your life is no longer yours. You the are Kardashian on the spotlight. Yeah. That's it. Well, yeah. and he, he, I think that's why they're meant to be together because he always wanted that. He, I mean, he I could, I, yeah, I mean, I could be totally wrong. I just think there's, there's a lot of, there's clear evidence something is going on. Well, he's, didn't he like come out and say he like has like a mental problem? He's he's come yeah, out and said he has bipolar. We don't know if it's one or two, but On he also said and... that he's like I'm not taking meds anymore. Well, but, wouldn't that cause him to be acting so erratic, right? Yes. So that makes sense. And honestly, the fact that he came out and said that he is bipolar, like props to him. Mm-hmm. The mental health conversations are not being talked about enough. I don't. Well, need to about and more. so I respect the fact that he's lost his marbles and is vocal about it. Honestly, I and I guess I do. I, I do agree with you there. I think that it was hard to watch the public sort of once they knew about every, all the mental strain and mm-hmm. angst that he was, you know, holding back that people didn't know details of. Like, yes, I was on meds. I'm not on them anymore. Yes, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, and people sort of just stayed in the media frenzy instead of like, okay, this is a cry for help by what he's doing. Like when, you know, Britney shaved her head, it was just sort of like, okay, this is a cry for help. Like what's going on right now? But that was also, Britney shaving her head was also at a time where we didn't have that much social media. We oh, no, had no, no, the no. tabloids. I, fe- I feel you. So what I'm, sa- what I'm saying is, I guess I wish I had seen more people being like, all right, let's talk to him and hear what he has to say and yeah. really he- listen. Mm-hmm. Whereas people kept just, retweeting and staying in Put this. a lot more gas on the fire. He's literally the Shakespeare of our generation. Yeah. Well, yeah. I loved his tweets. I'm sorry. Yeah. Like 
yeah, I, I'm one of those people that retweeted and wasn't like, you know, I mean, eventually I did tweet him and say like, let's have a sit down. Not that he would ever sit down with me because I'm not Charlemagne, but you, never know. <laughs> you, you know, never know, that, that interview was brilliant. By the way, the it Charlemagne was. interview was brilliant. Charlemagne was a phenomenal, wonderful interviewer. I'm I curious was what blown away. Joe Rogan. I'm I don't know. Pre- I'm pretty curious because he challenges people in a very visceral way. Mm-hmm. Whereas Charlemagne always did. He's sort of come He's away from how like he that. Charlemagne's sort like... of the bigger his platform's gotten now. Cause I, I love that dude as a media personality, him and Joe Budden. Yeah. And Joe Rogan, I love Joe Budden. Well, that, you just throw it down, you know, yeah. it's like no barriers. Like, you know, fuck it. We're getting in the Joe shit. Budden does not give one fuck. I love him. He presses that button on his podcast. Like it ain't no thing. <laughs> I, I love it. And that's the thing is it's just sort of like with Charlemagne, you could tell the Kanye interview was a brilliant interview. Brilliant. You need a lesson in how to interview HBO somebody. HBO got him, Got him his own show for that. They're yeah. developing his own show because of how brilliant and that interview Fury was. From the read, which freaking is freaking crazy. Yeah. Oh yeah. But uh, yeah, I guess like I'm curious about Joe Rogan because he'll have a very factual interview. I guess rather than where Charlemagne was reaching out to, so everybody could hear what was on Kanye's mind. Yeah. Joe will say, "Okay, so what was the theory in backing that, though?" Right. Like that you had, and he'll press him. I think he won't let him get, get away. He doesn't let anybody get away with like I'm not an avid um, Joe Rogan listener. So I'm curious to see how he conducts this interview. I think to me, watching interviews and the most fascinating things as someone who interviews, because I love watching people's interview styles. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think my interview sounds a little bit more like Charlemagne. Like more conversational, more laid back, but like still asking the questions, still pressing, still getting the person to open up. I'm curious to see how Joe's going to do this. Yeah. And I think it'll be a side of Kanye we've never seen. And that's going to be pulling back the layers of Kanye West. That's Mm -hmm. what I'm hoping for. And I'm hoping that he brings it because Joe will press him with what Joe thinks. And then I just hope Kanye doesn't sort of sit there and like when Kanye was on the breakfast club after yeah. Jesus and Charlemagne was like, I fucking hated that album. And Kanye was like, that's great. Cool. Yeah. Instead of really having a, even if it got to be a heated Joe Budden like conversation, I want to see. Charlemagne well, is an asshole sometimes. He, can he was be, so sure. mean to Ella May when she yeah. came into studio. I wanted oh, to, yeah, he was I am the biggest diehard Ella May fan ever. Mm-hmm. Like I've been listening to her for three years and I love her success. So I saw her on Breakfast Club, I think not too long ago. Mm-hmm. He was such a dickwad. And yeah. I was like, dude, you need to like, I'm all for you expressing your opinions and being you. But like yeah, at one brutal. point or other, you're like kind of disrespectful to your guest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, yeah, your album wasn't cohesive. It was, ju- it's just single after single. I was like, bitch, then why the fuck do you have her in studio? Mm-hmm. He was just, I was really, but yeah. you know what? He says what's on his mind and I respect Charlemagne for that. And I can't wait to see his HBO series. I think he's a brilliant, brilliant host. And I don't think he's gotten enough credit for how great he is. I really like his Budden. MTV show. Really? His MTV two show that he had with like the, he would have different guest panelists. It was kind of like a Bill Maher thing oh, okay. that he was doing. Okay. And he would just have like different, pop culture subject matter throughout the episode yeah. and panel would weigh in. He would weigh in crack jokes. Like it was good. It was Those good. shows generally do well. Yeah. Um, I was on a show called face five and it was panel show panel yeah. style. So everyone kind of had something to say and the audience always related to one of us. Oh yeah. And those type of shows normally do well because you're hitting a bigger reach to your audience, which yeah. is great. Well, okay. I guess, and looking up to those personalities, what's your motivation moving forward? Like what's your, 
I guess, 2019 career resolution, one of. Make a million dollars, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I wrote down my goals right before the new year because I accomplished a lot in 2018, even though I feel like I might have lived nine lives in 2018 and the last three months of 2018 were so fucking brutal, I wanted to die. Mm -hmm. But... um, I definitely would love to be back on another TV show for 2019. We are on hiatus with no return date for FaceTime 5. Mm-hmm. Or now Face 5 because we rebranded. And I was curious yeah, about yeah. that, by the way. I saw the name We change. did rebrand because of Apple. Mm-hmm. Oh, and okay. it was the best show I think I've ever been on as a host. It was every host's dream job. I went to work with four other amazing, phenomenal, talented, crazy personalities that we somehow all kind of worked and going to work was a pleasure. And it was weird because my boss didn't call me fat and she didn't tell me I needed a spray tan and she paid me on time and she was supportive of us and really, really understood that, you know, we are personalities and she let us just be us. She always just let us wake up and go to bed as us. She never expected us to be anything different. Mm. And it was very weird to have a boss so in support of us. Why is, why is that a thing in the entertainment industry? Like, they always killed raw talent. Like, they sort of would always suck the life out of something to make it c- commercially viable when the most commercially viable content is what's organic. Yeah, but that wasn't always the case. Okay, yeah, it's like there's That's a specific right. image that brings in the revenue. If you don't hit yeah. that image, then they're going to... Look at Vanna White. She did so well for mm. Wheel of Fortune. Yeah. For four, she just signed another contract to renew her contract for Wheel of Fortune. My friend um, really needs to take that role because she's like <laughs> just as beautiful as Vanna White was, if not even more. But it's a great job that this Vanna White has. And she... We don't know anything about Vanna White, if you think about it. That's true. But... We like to watch her because she's beautiful. And it was Mm -hmm. at a time where you would only see beautiful people on TV. And I grew up in an era where I never got to turn on the TV and see anyone that looks like me. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it was really difficult for me to be like, oh, I want to be like so-and-so because it's like, I had none of that. What Mm -hmm. Persian girl was a journalist, what Persian girl, I mean, you have Christian Amanpour, you have, you know, the hard news. I didn't like hard news. I'm sensitive. I cry like when the dog crosses the street and and, like is limping, what am I going to do? Sit outside of of a murder scene (laughs) and be like, Hey, I'm so sorry, but can you tell me how your relative died? Like that's so fucked up. Like Mm -hmm. that's not me. Yeah. So it was really, really hard for me to find something relatable growing up and I think that now we're in a time and place where the networks are realizing that yeah curvy girls are in thank you to the Kardashians who look like me and or similar to me I don't look like a Kardashian unfortunately (laughs) but they are middle thank you I'm all um Botox and injection free (laughs) (laughs) but they brought the ethnicity and the Middle Eastern um look and vibe to television and Mm -hmm. that was a game changer for people that look like me Mm -hmm. so yeah back 20 years ago everyone looked like vanna white being blonde was trending Mm -hmm. now being ethnically ambiguous middle eastern latina you name it it's trending Mm -hmm. and it's it's a crazy time to be alive it's nuts yeah well and what i do like about now too in addition to that is that 
there's so many ways to create your own platform and make a living doing it where the gatekeepers are no longer around really like you know the maybe five six major networks and things like that like i have a bunch of tv writer friends right and they're always writing pilots for new um sitcoms for whether that's disney or nickelodeon or whatever and he came into the office the other day discouraged because he was just like dude you have no idea what it's like hearing an executive tell you how to write your own show to fit a mold when they wanted your mold to begin with. It's mm. hard because it's across the board. It's like that. Yeah. You know, people want you to be ethnically ambiguous, but then tell you, oh, we really like you with hoops in your ears, like with hoop earrings. Right. That's that and shit. And so you have like a little bit more flavor or, oh, you look really good in pink because it makes you look younger and you look like you're 18. It's like, okay, oh, you look really good with a spray tan because you look skinnier. Yeah. And you're like, okay, well. It's, it's fucked. It's terrible. Like, I, it's, but there's someone down the street waiting to take your job. So then what yeah, do you do? do? Exactly. And no yeah. one talks about that part of it. No mm. one talks about how you could go into a room with 13 people that look like you mm. in your callback or similar. And each person prettier than the next person. Mm. And then what do you do? And then you know that if you go in there and you give it everything that you have, you might be the best talent in the room, but looks wise, you're not. Yeah. It's well, like blow to your fucking ego. Let me tell you. Well, it's like, it's like Russian roulette sometimes. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a, it sucks. It's the best way to put it. It's a bummer. Well, and there's like, there's, there's glimpses of hope in that for, for me personally, when I see like people like Issa Rae or Jordan Peele, where it's like, thank God some network exec gave this person like, oh, no, do what you do because you do this brilliantly. Yeah. Like, we won't fuck with you at all. Just But those are the mm. networks that are thriving. And yeah. those are the things that are, you know, Netflix is doing really well because I think they're starting to really understand their audience mm -hmm. and their different audiences, you know, and they're constantly creating and evolving and changing. Amazon's doing really well because of that same model. So... And I would bet there were a lot of network execs when Get Out came out that were shook, where they were like, "How do we, how do we come up with something?" Yeah, but to I'm sorry to to break it to all of you, but if you have gone to a, a meeting with network heads five years ago who were trying to break the digital mold and figure out the what the code was to get into yeah. the digital space, mm -hmm. they were all eighty year old white Jews crazy. eating breakfast at the Polo Lounge. Mm -hmm. I walked into a breakfast conference. Trying to tell you what's urban with or people hit. telling me uh, older eighty year olds who don't even know how to text telling me, oh well, these are this is the research with social media. It's like okay, why don't you just tell me what you want and I will find that for you. Yeah. The problem is is that there's no youth at the top, there's no diversity at the top, mm -hmm. and so then you are getting all this content from the networks that are not evolving. Yeah. And then mm -hmm. that's why they're, and they're wondering why they're a sinking ship and why they're losing their Emmys and their Golden Globes to digital to digital platforms. Mm -hmm. Yeah, It's not a surprise. Netflix is catering to people that watch their stuff. Mm -hmm. yeah. CBS, NBC, ABC, Fox, they're all struggling. NBC is actually doing the best job. I will tell you, NBC invested in Snapchat. They are very, know. yeah, they invested oh. in Snapchat. They're very with it. Mm. And so they're able to keep afloat in this time. But I can't tell you for sure if CBS, ABC, Fox, all those networks are going to be surviving. You're on a sinking ship and you're not coming up with anything relatable. Mm -hmm. It's true. It's true. Shonda left ABC. The fact that Shonda rhymes 
who created TGIT on Mm. ABC with hundreds and millions of dollars for the network, left the network that made her to go to Netflix where she would have creative freedom Mm. to do whatever the fuck she wanted. Speaks volumes. Speaks Mm -hmm. volumes. That should tell you where TV is headed. Mm -hmm. You People who are not getting on this train are going to have to crash and burn Mm -hmm. until they figure this out. I agree with you. Sorry, it's like the TV. No, it's oh, it's me right now. no it's, fuck this, yeah, you tell we them. We love Yo. hearing. You know, it's always good to hear other perspectives and hearing that truth really come out in such a visceral sense because there's so many people that you know feel shy to do that. So we thank you for. Being I was just real like the cinema us. student in me. I can't help it. <laughs> no, not enough people are like speak with such passion and like you know that's what I'm saying. Like so many people. Even in general conversation, even like something like, you know, just a weekly podcast like this, mm-hmm. we've had guests before who are very reserved from how they'll talk off the mic. Oh, and yes. And that's not, the, I don't mean subject matter. 90% of the people are like that though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, I have so much respect for people where it's like what you see. It's like what um, David Lee Roth said in like the metal documentaries, like when he's like, what you see on stage, man, is what you're going to see off stage, dude. But that's oh, like God. the best thing ever. Yeah. That's, oh, the, it's that's the best thing ever because it's, you want to feel like you relate and connect with who is speaking and who you're speaking to. So I think that that's kind of cool, honestly. Hell yeah. No, I feel you. Um, where's the best people, like, place to, if, okay, so two, two fronts. Okay. What's the best outlet for people to reach out to you? Either for, you know, maybe they're, you know, an aspiring, you know, TV host or something like that. And they're, you know, in their early teens. Like, where can they reach out to you? I mean, I don't know if you would want advice for me as an aspiring TV host because I've yet to be on another show. But no, <laughs> no I'm but just kidding. you know the lay of the land. And yeah, you, yeah, you know, you know, I'm just kidding. I, you know, I like to just punk <laughs> myself a couple times a day. <laughs> so the best place to reach me is to go on to GiveMeMora.com. And there's a contact tab and you can click that button and it'll send me an email and then I will respond. I respond to every email unless it's like really disturbing and just crazy. Yeah. I, I think I, I don't think I really just dis- respond to the haters unless it's a comment on mm. Give Me More. But yeah, I don't get too many haters anymore, which I'm kind of upset about because that means you've arrived. <laughs> that's, that's, hey, that's true. We actually, and I said that to them, like we missed an episode one week and I had one dude sending me like, if I see you, it's on site. Like, I'm fucking you up. Like, where's my episode? Like, and he was really like, he was serious. I was like, this is really weird. But I was like, I guess we're doing something right. It means you've arrived. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, you know, killer on the idea that we have someone that wants to kill you. Kill you. <laughs> kill us. <laughs> Maybe just beat you up. I mean, I could live without that. <laughs> I'm dead. I could hold my own. No, it was like it was like a 15-year-old with a jewel. I'm not. I'm dead. Oh. I could get real hood, believe me. <laughs> Living in Compton for two, three years really gave me some street cred. Let me take, let me take my earrings out. Let me take my hoops out. Yeah, I yeah. pulled a girl's extensions out of her head once. Oh, shit. Jesus. <laughs> Fun fact. Don't let this innocent sweet face fool you. <laughs> Don't mess with Mora. Don't mess with me. No, and then... um. Well, yeah, I mean, it's been a pleasure having thank you, you on. Thank you for having yeah, me. Yeah, thank you yeah. so much for coming on. And, and you're welcome back. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. And if anyone's looking to reach out, connect, you can go to gimmemora.com, send me an email, or you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at NickMoraXO. Bam. Well, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. Nick Mora, 
on Cheers. the mic. This was so fun. Thanks, guys. Oh, man. Please come back on. <laughs> I Seriously. will. I would love to. Happy 25th episode, everybody. Carter, I love you, brother. I love you too, man. Jake. Cheers to our audience. Sending bodacious vibes to all you bodacious. lovely people. Man, you guys keep us going. And cheers to Jaken, wherever you are, you silly bastard. I love you. Mwah. We'll I love see you, you soon. Can't wait to meet you, cutie. Yeah. <laughs> He's a stunner. He's taking them. Can't wait. All right. Good night, everybody. Be safe. Chill, no, chill.